Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning again, and if you are uh, visiting with us today, I'm Associate Pastor Jonathan Lucia, and welcome. I'm continuing a series that started at the beginning of summer. We've been working our way through the book of Acts uh, in a series called Summer in the Cities, and uh, we've been working through Acts geographically, basically, hitting each city and uh, the unique uh, differences between cities and so on. So today we are looking at the city of Athens, and our scripture today comes from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 21. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be, to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, whoa, it came out like police officers. That was weird. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, there we go, began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Let's pray. Loving God, as we uh, turn our attention now to your holy scripture. We pray that our hearts and minds would be open to what you have to say to us this morning. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the wake of the terrorist attacks in New York City and Washington, D.C. on 9-11 in 2001, the airspace over the United States, as we all know, was shut down. And as a result, tens of hundreds of planes were redirected to safe destinations. Now, I learned this this week. This operation of uh, redirecting those planes to safe destinations was called Operation Yellow Ribbon. And Operation Yellow Ribbon, as I said, directed thousands of planes to safe destinations. Now, 38 of those planes were redirected to a small town of 10,000 people called Gander, Newfoundland. And the population there was 10,000. And with 40, or I'm sorry, 38 planes landing there, this is just kind of, in some ways, a terrible story. They were, they, they were redirected there, and they were kept in their planes for in total of about 30 hours before they finally decided they could be let off the planes without their luggage. So um, they, the, the town really is amazing. They, they exercised a huge amount of hospitality. They put them up in the high school gymnasium. People were welcoming these people into their homes. They, uh, these uh, 6,656 people took over a town of 10,000 people. And they were there, unfortunately, this is unfortunate layover, they were there for five days. 
And uh, if this story sounds a little familiar to you, there was an award-winning Broadway musical called Come From Away uh, that was based on this story. Now, the reason, this was just an unfortunate layover uh, in unfortunate circumstances, but the reason uh, why I bring this issue up, raise your hand if you've ever had an unfortunate layover. Okay, now I'm just, I'm really curious. How many of you have ever had to like sleep on the airport floor waiting for a plane? Okay, some of you. You're hardcore. You're hardcore travelers. Now, the reason why I uh, bring this idea of an unfortunate layover up, is, uh, layover is, um, is because that's what is going on with Paul in today's scripture. Athens was never a destination. The destination was Corinth. Ooh, we got a map already. All right. I'm going to talk about that map in a second. Um, the, the ultimate destination was, was Corinth, and, and Athens was just a layover. So now we're going to look at the map. So a little, little bit about background about Paul. Paul. Paul is known to have three missionary journeys, and they all start essentially in modern-day Le Lebanon. And so this is the first one, and I just really wanted to just throw this up to give you the first idea of, of like, it was really kind of, it looks like quick to us, but it was actually slow because he walked or was by boat. Um, so this was the first journey. Let's go to the next map. So now the, the reason why I wanted the first map is to give you an idea. Over on the right hand side of, of the map here is where that first journey was. And then what Paul did, would he, he would return to the, to the churches and communities of faith that he had established. And then he, in the second trip, he made a larger circle. And today we're looking at Athens. You see Athens basically in the middle of the screen. And I wanna kind of set this up, which is generally um, Acts chapter 17. Um, what happened, you see Thessalonica at the top of the map. What happened in Thessalonica, as was Paul's custom, he would enter into a city and the first place he would go, would, he would find the Jewish community of faith. Sometimes that was an actual synagogue in a building. Sometimes it was just a community of, of Jews. So uh, in Thessalonica, he was not well received. They actually did not like what he had to say and they chased him out of town. At which point uh, he and it's, it's Paul and it's Silas and it's Timothy and there's probably some others with him that went unnamed. And so having been chased out of Thessalonica, they go to Berea. And in Berea, same thing, as was his custom, they went to the synagogue and there they were very open and welcoming to what Paul had to say until, until folks from Thessalonica made their way to Berea and said, why are you listening to this guy? And uh, it's, it's very, I love Acts because it's just very real. Um, basically in the middle of the night, Paul, they, they realize Paul might be under threat. And so in the middle of the night, Paul takes off. And the plan is that, that um, Silas and Timothy and, and the rest of them will catch up with Paul. And they, they basically like get him out in the middle of the night. And we don't know, there was a road between Berea and Athens that followed the coast. And there's also the water. We don't know how he got there. It's possible that he went by boat. Um, but there are Bereans who went with Paul and escorted him possibly for his safety, to Athens. And once Paul arrived in Athens, they returned to Berea. So what we've got is we've got Athens, uh, we've got Paul who's in Athens and he's basically a bachelor with nothing to do and it's a layover stop. The goal is to get to Corinth. Why do we want to go to Corinth? Um, Corinth was the, the political uh, power center of Greece for that time. And so today's scripture begins with uh, this verse, with these words, while Paul was waiting for them. 
So who's he waiting for? He's in Athens alone, and he's waiting for Timothy and Silas and the rest of his crew to catch up with him. So I've titled this series, which, by the way, we're going to be spending two weeks in Athens, which means come back next week. Um, titled the series, Meanwhile in Athens. This unfortunate layover for Paul. So let's talk about the city of ancient Athens. At the time, Paul was experiences his experiencing his layover in Athens, the city was no longer an important political center, as I said. Under the reign of, oh, no, I was going to, this map isn't good enough for me to give you all the detailed reasons. Um, but um, basically, the Roman uh, Caesars of the time felt that Corinth, because of the commercial, the, the money that was flowing through Corinth, should be the, basically the, the capital of, of Greece at that time. And so, but Athens was still the university center of the Roman Empire. All of the great Greek philosophers had come from Athens, including Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Euripides, and many others. These Greek philosophers established patterns of thinking that still affect Western education today. Now, when Paul visited Athens, the city was past its zenith. It was 400 years after the golden age of Greece that Paul visited Athens. But Athens was still a center of culture and art and knowledge. Bottom line, I think if we were to um, contemporize what Athens was, Athens was what we would call today a college town, largely populated by academics and thinkers, professors and students. <clears throat> so what did Paul do in Athens? Today's scripture tells us that he was distressed by all of the idols. So uh, I'm going to unpack this. All of the idols. Um, it's kind of a side story, but it's kind of weird how God works. I was preparing this message uh, this week, and I had a meeting down by LAX. And so I took my laptop, and I went down to my alma mater, uh, LMU. And uh, LMU has a new library, and I thought, oh, it's, it'll be cool. I'll, 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 get, I'll avoid traffic, I'll go to LMU, and I'll hang out at the library and continue to work. And when I walked into the library, over the COVID shutdowns, the LMU drama department created a, um, like, Athens in miniature. And I thought, it, like, it was so strange that here I am, like, in, like, engrossed in chapter 17 of Acts that is all about Athens. And I walk in, it wasn't planned. I just walked in and here it was. So I'm going to explain, well, I'm going to explain some of the things I learned. So you, you've heard the word, the Acropolis. So Athens was basically, it's a, a city that surrounded a mountain. And this mountain is called the Acropolis. And it's only about 500 feet above sea level. And the, so what is the Acropolis? I've heard that word too, but I, was, I never really understood it until I saw this miniature thing. The Acropolis is the top of the mountain, and it was devoted, imagine a mall, an outside mall. It's the, it's the Simi Valley Center. <laughs> it's an outside mall, but every, instead of shops, what you had was all these different temples to different gods. So the top of the mountain is called the Acropolis, and it's basically a mall of, of temples. And the main temple is the Panthenon, which is still, you know, there's still, uh, um, you can still see that today. Um, so that's the Acropolis. So Paul goes into the city. Now, the, I'm going to even go, I love this stuff. I love the history. Okay. So the thing is, also there was some natural disasters in Athens, and Athens surrounds the, the Acropolis, that 
caused some of the cities, the, the city to be destroyed. And so when they rebuilt the city in order to appease the gods for buildings that had been uh, destroyed and stuff, they, they built altars uh, and, and to, to different idols and such. So today's scripture starts with Paul that while he's waiting in Athens, what does he do in Athens? Well, he's distressed. He's distressed by all the idols. He's provoked by all of the idols. He's disturbed by all the idols. And the reason why I use all those different adjectives of, of how he was feeling was that in the Greek, in English translations, different words are used there. And it's because the original Greek is this word that just implies a storm within. That Paul was experiencing all of these idols and he, it's like a tempest was in his stomach and his, in his heart in response to what he was seeing. So, as was Paul's custom, the first thing he did was that he reasoned with the Jews at the synagogue. Archaeology, this is cool stuff too. They have found the foundation of that synagogue and have dated it with other buildings of the similar time. And it's believed that Paul was in uh, this synagogue um, and that, that synagogue, the structure itself, had been in Athens for 500 years before Paul had been there. So there was a Jewish community in Athens for at least 500 years prior to Paul being there. And it's likely that Paul went uh, to the synagogue on the Sabbath. That's when they would meet. Um, and, uh, or possibly multiple Sabbaths. We don't really know the time, how much time uh, Paul had spent uh, in Athens. So it's possible that he had been there multiple Sabbaths. Now, why does Paul, as is his custom, always go to the synagogue first? So let's review. Did you guys know Paul is Jewish? <laughs> uh, yeah, Paul, Paul's Jewish. Uh, and a little bit more about that. And we had a, a Bible study on this text in our in staff this week. And, and Ryan, our, our youth director, said, you should remind people that Jesus was Jewish too. <laughs> Sometimes we forget. We just think, oh, they're Christians. They were Jewish. So Paul was Jewish. Um, while Paul was fairly young, he was sent to Jerusalem. It's believed that he was born in Tarsus, uh, that he was sent to Jerusalem to receive an education at the school of Gamaliel, uh, the most noted teacher of Jewish law at that time. And that sentence has a lot to unpack because it implies, number one, that Paul, the family that Paul came from had money because he was basically sent off to go to boarding school. Number two, Paul, by the end of that education, would have represented anywhere between five to three percent of the whole world's population based on his education alone. So Paul comes from money and he's highly educated. Paul describes himself in his letter to the Philippian church, Philippians chapter three, verse five. He's describing himself, and he goes, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. Basically, he's saying, I'm Jewish, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he's essentially saying there, I stand a head, head and shoulders above other Hebrews. And then he says, as to the law of Pharisee. Now, we've talked uh, before about this, this title of a Pharisee. What is a Pharisee? And I, I was trying to figure out a good way to communicate this. And I think this, I've got it. I've nailed it. Here it comes. Two roles in our culture today. Take a police officer. 
A police officer uh, is what? The role of a police officer is to enforce the law. All right, that's the police officer. Now, another role we have is the lawyer. The lawyer, um, right, studies the law and both, um, um, you know, defends people who are, are, are accused um, or uh, prosecutes criminals. So lawyers and policemen. Now take both those roles and make them one. And instead of secular law, take the Jewish law, the Old Testament law. And that's what a Pharisee was highly educated to like weave your way in and out of the arguments of what the law meant and enforce it. That's why previously Paul, before he came to follow Christ, was actually persecuting the church because he was a Pharisee. Okay. I have no idea where I am in my notes. <laughs> so, so Paul describes himself. Okay. Right. So, so he's just describing himself and he's a Jew, a Hebrew among Hebrews. Uh, and as to the law of Pharisee, what we need to understand is that's why he starts, as was his custom, going to the, the Jewish community or the synagogue. He would have been, once people, you know, it would have been a very short conversation for the rabbis and the synagogue leadership to recognize Paul's, um, Paul's stature. And so they would have welcomed him, in, welcomed him in and said, hey, what do you got to share with us? And then he would start sharing about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, this Jewish community, like Paul, think about it, was a monotheistic synagogue in a polytheistic culture. And so I'm sure this synagogue was distressed by the Athenian idolatry as much as Paul was. What's interesting to ponder is that this monotheistic Jewish synagogue, this community of faith in this culture, had been there for 500 years and they had not pushed the dial in any direction. They had remained themselves monotheistic, but they did not influence the culture around them. And it's with these religious people that Paul first shared the hope of Jesus and the resurrection. So this leads me to point one in our outline today. You've got it in your bulletin or if you're following along on your Bible app. Um, Paul started with those that he shared the most in common with. Paul started with those he shared the most in common. Verse 17, Paul reasoned in the synagogue. As believers, Paul's methodology of starting with those he shared the most in common with ought to cause us to consider what is our contextual equivalent? Who do you share the most in common with? Possible answers might be your family, your friends, your co-workers. But let's dig even a little deeper, deeper. What are the commonalities that draw you to those you have the most in common with? What are the commonalities and possible answers? Maybe language, gender, religion, race, worldviews, interests, likes, dislikes, donuts, coffee. <laughs> I don't know. The list goes on. What I want to challenge us with is this. I want us to consider when Paul shared his faith, he started with those that he had the most common with. So then what happened? Paul started with his fellow Jewish community 
And today's scripture describes that he also shared Jesus and the resurrection every day in the marketplace. In Athens, the marketplace was known as the Agora. The Agora. Does that sound familiar? If we could jump over these mountains over there, there's a community called Agora Hills. It's from the same root. Agora means marketplace. The Agora was filled with everyday people from everyday life. Tradespeople, business people, people coming into the city to sell their products, others, you know, to purchase produce and so on. In the marketplace, Paul met people and he talked with them, everyday people. And these people were stuck in superstition and ritual that the city demanded of them. They were gripped by everyday fears and uncertainties. Some of these people's people had anxieties that perhaps were accentuated by their trust in false gods and empty idols. Think about that. When we place our faith in things that are untrue, I think it's natural for us to share a higher level of anxiety. We ought to consider that the marketplace where Paul talked to everyday people from everyday life, guess what? Those people, honestly, if you think about it, were just like us. So this is where Paul spent every day, in the marketplace. And it's in the marketplace that he met two groups that are mentioned in today's scripture, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, the names may have gone away with history, but the ideas of the Epicureans and the Stoics remain with us today. Let's start with the Epicureans. The Epicureans were atheists who denied God's existence, and they denied an afterlife. In other words, all there is is this life. This is it. So uh, their highest virtue was pleasure. Live it up now, because this is all you got. Their motto, which still persists today, and I bet you can finish it, ready? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we, yeah. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That, that phrase it actually is rooted in Epicureanism. Today, we might call them existentialists. Although it's no longer called Epicureanism, this type of thinking or this type of philosophy is widespread today. Best summarized by the acronym, ready? YOLO. Hashtag YOLO. You only live once. You only live once. That's the Epicureans. The Stoics. The Stoics were pantheists. They believed that everything is God. God does not exist as a separate single entity. God is everything in the air, in the rocks, in us, you, me, everything. God is in the in it all. Now, their attitude towards life was one of resignation. The Stoics prided themselves in the ability to take whatever came their way. So their motto may have been, in modern terms, grin and bear it. Grin and bear it. Suck it up, grin and bear it. They urged moderation. Don't get over emotional about anything. Don't get too happy about the good times and don't get too sad about the low times. Just grin and bear it. In all fairness, I think we can acknowledge that there are many people today 
who think and feel similarly to the Stoics and the Epicureans. And it's quite possible that we do that simultaneously. Grin and bear it. Hashtag you only live once. Like we, we just kind of like carry it all. The book of Acts shows us how they responded to Paul. And this was their response. And you, we can actually see it in the structure of the, the scripture itself. The Epic, Epicureans are um, mentioned first, and the first response is implied to the Epicureans, and the second response is implied to the Stoics, who are mentioned second. And so the Epicureans, I'm sorry, yeah, the Epicureans are basically looking down their nose at Paul. They don't believe that God exists. So they're looking down their, their nose at Paul, and they're basically calling, saying he's babbling. He's a babbler. Um, and this is just fun. The, the word in Greek um, implies a chirping bird. So they're basically going, Paul's just in the market going, chirp, 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 right? It, it's actually funnier because it also implies a bird brain. Like they're calling him, this bird brain is in the marketplace and going, burp, chirp, burp, chirp, chirp, right? Small brained individual, that's Paul. I don't think so. The Stoics, on the other hand, misunderstand what Paul is teaching. And they think that he's introducing two new gods. So the city is full of gods and they're thinking, yeah, Paul's just introducing two more gods. And that is one God, Jesus, and this other God, the resurrection. Now that might sound strange to many of us because we, we as Christians can't separate those two ideas. Why would they think that? The city, as I said, is full of these idols and shrines and so on. And some of these shrines were two gods, and some of these shrines were two ideas. So they may have a shrine dedicated to victory or a shrine dedicated to generosity. And so they just thought he was introducing two ideas, Jesus and the resurrection, life after death. So Paul was not necessarily well received in the marketplace. So, which leads me to my second point of today's message, and that is Paul risked, keyword risked, Paul risked going public in the marketplace. Again, verse 17, in the marketplace day by day. And once again, today's scripture ought to cause us to consider what our contextual equivalent is, the marketplace. We live in suburbia, we live in Simi Valley, and when I think of the marketplace in Simi Valley, I, <laughs> I certainly don't think of them all. <laughs> and we all laugh at that. But like, this is, we, we have strip malls, and we drive up and we run in and we get what we need and we get back in our car and we leave. So where are the spaces in our culture where ideas are openly exchanged and openly considered? I have some thoughts, but I certainly don't have the answers. One thought which immediately came to mind as we were studying this this week together as a staff was, well, of course it's social media. Yeah, because keywords are openly exchanged and, and openly considered. And I think on social media, people share opinions and if you don't agree, you're shut down. So not necessarily an open space or um, a safe space. Um, Lee, our worship director, knows that as I, I'm, I'm the pastor in charge of shepherding our growth groups, and he wanted to win some points with me. So he said the safe place to exchange ideas 
uh, about faith and stuff are growth groups. And I was like, ding, right answer, good job. Uh, you know, hashtag growth groups Stonebridge. Um, so where, I, I, it's an interesting, that I don't, uh, interesting question that I don't have an answer. Where are the safe spaces that we have in our culture to exchange ideas and to consider them? So what we do know was that Paul risked going into his place and sharing there. Paul started with those that he shared the most in common with. Paul risked going public in the marketplace. In the marketplace. And lastly, Paul influenced the influencers. Paul influenced the influencers. In verse 19, it reads, then they took him, Paul, and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus. So all this new vocabulary. Um, we've got the Pantheon and the Acropolis, and now we've got the Areopagus. Oh, and we've got the Agura. The Agura, the marketplace, and you're not going to forget that one. Okay, so the Acropolis. What is the Acropolis? If we visited Athens today, and let's say we were taking a walking tour, we'd be taken up a small hill which was west of the Acropolis. And from my understanding, it remains undeveloped. And we would be told on this walking tour that this was Mars Hill, a.k.a the Acropolis. And this was the place where Paul addressed the Athenian philosophers. However, this is questionable because yes, the Acropolis was a place, but it was also the name of a council or committee of philosophers and judges, essentially, that guarded the ideas of the city. In Paul's time, they would no have would not. At one time, they did meet on Mars Hill, the Acropolis, but the Areopagus. But in fact, by Paul's time, they probably just met off of the Agora. Right? You're following along now. They would have just had. It's like Will's Chapel in relationship to this. They would have just been in a different space right off the marketplace. So. It's before the court or the council of the Areopagus that Paul appears. Now, what Paul shares, the content of what he shares, we're going to talk about next week, and I hope you come back. So the content of what he shares, it's, uh, and in Acts, it's the only place where it's recorded of what Paul shares to a, a Gentile audience. So it's worth exploring, and I hope you come back for that. But this is what I want us to consider today. If we understand that the Areopagus was basically the council that vetted, vetted the city's philosophical thinking, they're the ones that are going to listen to Paul and give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. If Paul wins them over, then the message of Jesus and the resurrection is then going to be open to the whole city to consider. Spoiler alert, to some extent, Paul wins them over. Paul wins them over, and we're, again, we're going to talk more about that next week. But essentially, Athens is what we call a college town. And if the committee or the council responsible for vetting new thoughts accepts Paul's message, then it's natural to assume that those thoughts would trickle their way through the academic infrastructure, through the academic hierarchy. Paul ends up influencing the influencers. As I, as I mentioned before, did it work? And the answer is yes. Again, we're going to talk about that more next week, but I want us to consider this because at this point in writing this message, I paused and I went, huh, I wonder what Athens is like today. So I looked it up. 
In 2016, they did a survey in Athens, and in that survey, 76% of Athenians today identify, self-identify as Christians. And that's quite a difference from the polytheism of Athens that Paul entered into 2,000 years ago. Can we draw a straight line between those? Uh, I don't know, but it's interesting. Once again, once again, today's scripture ought to cause us to consider what our contextual equivalent is. The Areopagus. What's our cultural equivalent? Today, we talk about influencers, right? Social media influencers or celebrities. And let's face it, influencers today are just leveraged by corporations to sell you a bunch of junk you really don't need. And that's my commentary on that. Um, <clears throat> however, in our immediate context, today's scripture challenges us to consider who are the influencers, who are the alpha personalities, who are the charismatic personalities in our lives? And what influence does our faith have on them? Let me conclude with this. Um, you, you may have done this maybe at, in your work. It seems in church life, this is a thing, right? Anytime a bunch of people that don't know each other get into a room, before you start the business of the church, or maybe at work, before you start the business of work, you go around and introduce each other, and then that got boring. So then it's like, let's make this a game, and it's called the name game. And I thought about it this week. There are many ways to play the name game. One of my favorite ways to play the name game is you take an adjective that describes yourself that starts with the first letter of your name. So I'm Jolly Jonathan and you're Peppy Patty, and you're, you know, Silly Steve, and so on and so on, right? And you go around the circle and, and remember names. What would we call Paul? Let's call him Persevering Paul. Persevering Paul, why? First off, let's just get back to this idea. Athens was never a destination. It was a layover on his way to Corinth. And most of us, I mean, it would have been really easy for him to just like, cool, let's like check out the scene, you know, check into the hotel, get my margarita, hang out by the pool and just wait for Timothy and Silas and the guys to show up and then we'll can right? He could have done that, which then makes us have to ask the question, you know, Paul is just an example that challenges our own time management. <laughs> what are we doing in our downtime? Apparently, this is what he does in his downtime. And he starts with one circle of people. And our scripture doesn't really tell us whether he was successful in winning over people in the synagogue. He may have been discouraged. And in light of that, think about how you or I may have responded. You know what? I tried. I gave it a shot. People didn't like it. I'm going back to the hotel room and hanging out by the pool, man. Like just, we would put the brakes on. But Paul... When most of us would instinctually go, that was rough, put on the brakes, he just puts his foot on the gas and moves on. He persists. Persevering Paul. Paul starts with those that he shared the most in common with. He risked going into the marketplace, and he continues on to influence the influencers. Paul's methodology and Paul's perseverance is an example to us all. Let's pray. Loving God, um, 
we we know that you um, you placed an amazing call on Paul that what you had in store for him and the work that he would do to glorify you and to glorify the kingdom is amazing. And yet we uh, also ought to consider that what is true for Paul is true for all of us. That in the same way uh, that he was faithful to his call, um, you call us to follow you faithfully. And so we, we look at Paul's example and by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit working within us, Lord, help us to apply some of the things that he did in our own lives, in our own contexts. All led by your Holy Spirit walking alongside us. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.
hear the song, I hear the song of victory ring over me. I hear the song, I hear the song of victory ring over me. I hear the song, I hear the song of victory ring over me. I hear the song, I hear the song of victory ring over me. I hear the song, I hear the song of victory. Great. 